chapter number three of the book of Revelation. We are right on track. Two sermons, two chapters. Just so you know, we're, we're moving along only 29, 20 more times to prove it, right? That we can actually do this as I desire. Chapter number three. Now, I always like to pull out the key verses and show you, tell you what the thoughts are going to center around today. And uh, last week I had a whole bunch for you, didn't I? Well, this week I would put it this way. They're the same as far as the outline is concerned. Because we're still dealing with churches, and guess what? He keeps repeating the same things. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 15, all say, I know. Chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, 5, chapter 3, 12. Chapter 3.21, He Who Overcomes. We used that as our outline last week. He who knows, he who hears, he who overcomes. I'm going to carry it into this week because we are going to finish the three churches of the seven. We dealt with four last week, and we're going to carry on that same thing. Although I am going to highlight, especially today, verse number 20. Verse number 20. Let me read you the chapter first. And when we get to verse 20, you'll see that that's the one I'm going to pick when we get to that part too. Chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they have walked with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the church, angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews, but are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. 
I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I self to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, again, a big section of scriptures in front of us with a lot of detail. I pray, Lord, with the time that we have right now, that you help us to direct our thoughts to the message you would have us hear, that you would uh, work inside of us, change us from the inside out. Address these things to our heart, we pray, Lord. Help us to know. Help us to see. Help us to respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we investigated four of the seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3. We talked about Ephesus, and we talked about Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira. The fact is, as we studied those, the Lord knew them well. The word, matter of fact, I know, was emphasized because he knew their strengths. In Ephesus, he knew their works. He knew the toil. He knew their perseverance. He knows that they could not tolerate evil men. He knows that they have put the apostles to the test. He knows that you can. He, he, they found them to be false in that testing. He knows that, knew that they had endured and they have not grown weary. In Smyrna, he said, I knew your persecutions and I, I know your poverty and I know that you're rich. In Pergamum, he says, I know where you dwell. I know you hold fast my name. I know you did not deny the faith. I know that you had a martyr in your midst. To Thyatira, he said, I know your works. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. I know what you're doing now is greater than the things that were before. The Lord knew their strengths. He also knew their struggles, didn't he? And throughout the same passages, he talked about Ephesus who wavered from their first love. 
And he addressed that. You waver in your love for me. In Smyrna, he said, you're tempted to fear persecution. In Pergamum, he said, you have tolerated false teaching. And Thyra, Tyra, you've been intimidated. And you've allowed for bad leadership. Here's the facts, facts that I bring to you. And I'm going to show it to you one more time today. The Lord knows His church. He knows His church inside out. He knows the things that are their strengths. And He knows the things that are their struggles. He's able to identify them perfectly. But the reality to set before us today is this. That the struggles do not diminish His love for the church. And the strengths do not increase His love for the church. Because His love for the church is always the same. He said that in chapter 1. He's bringing it up in each and every single chapter as we've marked through so far. You do not shape God's love for you. God shapes you by His love. That's what He's up to. This message that we're looking at here is for the church. Revelation is for the church. So that they can understand the love that Jesus Christ has for us. And the fact that the church belongs to Him. It belongs to Him. From the first chapters to the very last chapters, you're going to see it. The church belongs to Him. And He has a plan for the church. And there are terrible things between chapter 4 and chapter 19. But He loves His church. He loves His church. Any church that belongs to Jesus, this is the message to them. This is what He has to say. Just underscore that, because I'd like to keep doing that. He loves His church. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It said it to very clear words. To Him who loves us. I don't ever want to miss out on that verse as we go through our study here. Because He's not only loved us, but He's forgiven us for our sins. And then He's changed us forever. All that in chapter 1, 5, and 6. He's changed us to be a kingdom and priest to His God. That's quite a change, folks, from what we used to be to what we are now. Called once His enemy. Called once lost, hopeless, separated from God. And now we're a kingdom. We're His priests. We are loved and we are forgiven. What a great, great thing He has done for us. Why do I keep saying that? Because He loves His church. (laughs) Can I underscore that a little bit more, maybe? He loves His church. That's what this book is for. People love the sensational side of it. They like to go to all those other parts. And, And it's really like looking at an accident scene, folks. It's not pretty. But that's not what we're here for. I mean, we see it, we know it, we hear all these things. But he wants us to hear, once again, he loves his church. Even in their challenges, right? He loves his church. Even when they're doing well, he loves his church. Chapter 3 will bring that right to the forefront. If nothing else can, chapter 3 will. Because there is a church in here with a huge challenge. We would say at times that there seems to be a rotten apple in the bushel somewhere, and we found it. The church of Laodicea. People go after them all the time. As if to say, Jesus loves six, 
of the seven churches. That's the way it's presented. They call it the apostate church. They call it the church uh, that the Lord rejects because he spits them out of his mouth. They underscore these kind of things. They criticize the church of Laodicea. I wonder, folks, if the church of Laodicea might be a little more common than we might think. I wonder if it might depict us pretty well. I want to go through it with you, but I want to tell you something about this church called the Lukewarm Church before I go through the rest of these, because I wanted to address this first. In chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There it is, they say. The church that Jesus can't abide. So they preach a whole sermon on don't be Laodicean church. Right? Don't be like them. Their pastor must have been Judas Iscariot. What is wrong with that place? Jesus didn't like it, apparently. But true to a hermeneutical principle that says stay in the context. Don't miss the next couple of verses. Look at verse 19. To this church, he said this, Those whom I love, I reprove. What did you just hear? He loves his church. Or else he wouldn't have said a word to him. Those whom he loves, he reproves and disciplines, and then he told them what to do, didn't he? Be zealous, he says. And repent. I have to keep that in my mind too as I go through this. I brought you the verse last week from Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6, that said that there were those who forgot the exhortation that was addressed to them. And the exhortation was this My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. I I would give you this. Laodicea was not a healthy church. But it was a church Jesus loved. It was a church Jesus loved. Do you know that the Laodicean church is referenced in other places of the New Testament? Do you know that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Laodicean church? Let me show you. i got to prove it, don't I? Bookmark right there. Colossians, chapter number 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right? It's number 4 on that. Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. This is Paul as he's summing up the letter to the Colossians. He says, Greet the brothers who are in... Oh, you mean there were saved people in that church? He called them brothers, didn't he? Paul was not careless with that word. Greet the brothers, he said, who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, 
have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. So take the Colossian letter over to them, let them read it. And by the way, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. You say, wait, I don't have a Laodicean letter in here. Nope, you don't. For whatever reason, the Lord didn't see the need for us to have it. But that doesn't mean Paul didn't write it. He wrote to the Laodicean church an epistle. Wouldn't you have loved to have read that one? Probably would have talked about their water system. Your water is always so warm over there. I don't know what he said. But there's my quick defense, folks, of the church of Laodicea. I wanted to say that all so that when we're gleaning from all these churches, we don't throw them out of the club. All right? The Lord loves them. They are a church that belongs to Him. Yes, they had problems. A lot of churches do. But He loves them. You know, someday, someday when we stand in glory, there will be Laodiceans standing there too. Right? They're brothers. They are brothers. And they're going to stand there too. And don't step three steps away from them. All right? They're your brothers. Loved by the Lord, forgiven by His blood, made into a kingdom and priest as well. What He's done for us, He's done for them. You know what? I think we could glean a lot from the Laodicean church. With what little we know, there's much we can know. Alright? So, as I stated last time, I'm going to follow the, the similar outline. Watch carefully as we go through the last three of these churches, both receiving con- commendations and condemnations. He praises them and he rebukes them. He takes away and he gives. And his goal, every single church, including the Laodiceans, that wears his name, that they may be like him. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing To their churches, that's what he's doing to our church. That's what he's doing to us as believers in Christ. He's making us to be like him. Every believer that makes up the true church belongs to Jesus. They belong to Jesus. And we all have the same destination, folks. We're all going to stand there before his throne. And see ourselves in a way we've never thought possible. Without spot, without wrinkle without blemish, without any of those things, but we shall be holy. Wow! Blameless before Him. It's coming. It's coming. And He won't fail. There's going to be a day when Revelation 19 mentions this in verse 7. There's going to be a day when the church stands before Christ like a bride on her wedding day. He has done that work that the bride will be made ready, for she will clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. This is the bride that Jesus loves. And if he loves it, he's the head. And if he's the head, he's the Savior. And the church is subject to him, because he loved that church and he gave himself up for it. He sanctifies it. He cleanses it by washing of the Word. He's going to present to Himself a church in all her glory because He's nourishing it 
and he's cherishing it. That's all from Ephesians 5. This is what he's doing. Now, would you consider that the work Christ is doing is worth it? Yes, it is. Jesus says to the churches here these words, and a lot of words we're going to look at, but they're all in keeping with the fact that he is working with that church to be like himself. The churches in chapter 2 and 3 are the same in one way, especially. They are all infected by the disease of this world. They are all seen with dim eyes and plugged ears, and the cloud of the temporary tends to block their view of the eternal. And it's just like that in life, and you know it. (laughs) We get so occupied with the things that surround us that we forget what we shall be. What we shall be. But here's the beauty of it all. He knows. (laughs) He knows. He knows, folks. What doesn't he know about you? What doesn't he know about his church? (laughs) That's why we emphasize the doctrine of omniscience. He knows. And he uses that word three times here in chapter number three. The same word in verse one. Verse 8 and verse 15. I know. I know. I perfectly know. I told you the difference last week. The word gnosko in Greek means I'm coming to know. I'm learning to know. I'm watching you and I'm surprised at what you've done. And it taught me something about you that I didn't know. And I'm slowly learning what you're like. That is not the verb he used. He used the perfect tense, oida, which means I know perfectly. There is nothing I need to learn about you. I know. I know what you are. I know where you are in the process. I know those things. Folks, it could alarm you to hear those words. I think they're comforting, personally. I think they're comforting. When he said to Sardis in chapter 3, the first six verses, I know your deeds... He said that to all the churches. I know your deeds. I know that you have a name. I know that you're alive. I know that you've received and heard my word. I know that there are some among you who have not soiled their garments. I know. To Philadelphia, chapter 3, 7, uh, 7 through 13. He said, I know your deeds too. And I know that you have a little power. And I know that you have kept my word. And I know that you have not denied my name. And I know that you have persevered. That's a nice picture, isn't it? To Laodicea, you say, anything good? Yes. I know your deeds. They were doing something. He says, I know that you are lukewarm too. Now granted, these three and the other four do not have the same strengths, do they? They do not have the same strengths. And they do not have the same struggles either. When he talked to Sardis, he says, I know you've fallen asleep. Wake up! You can hear it, can't you? Wake up! I had a roommate like that at Moody. Drove me crazy. That was his way of saying good morning. 
He's from Pennsylvania, good old Pennsylvania Dutch stock and the whole thing. And that was his thing. Wake up! And you're like, ah! No, that, that just what We didn't say roommates long. <laughs> i just tell you that. I got a new one the next semester. I said, woo! Wake up, he says. You've fallen asleep. I know it. I know it. Have you ever been one of those who gets drowsy in a church service and you think the pastor doesn't notice? You know, your eyes are going this way and that way, and you're just kind of leaning. And you say, Jesus notices everything. Your pastor may not, because he can't always see who's in the back row at times. But Jesus saw that they were asleep. He saw it. He says, I know. I know you fell asleep. I know your deeds are not done yet. Oh, you started, but you didn't finish. I know. I know you need to repent. I need you to know. I need... I know that you need to remember where you have left what you heard. That's a forgetful trait about you, and I know it. You forgot. Philadelphia, you know, a lot of people point out he didn't rebuke them. But he did say, I know I put an open door before you. You know what's interesting? He doesn't say that they went through it. He said, I said it before you. He said, you know, I also know there's a synagogue of Satan. Full of self-deceived individuals in all their experiences. And there they are in some sort of persecution going on. And it sounds like you are not struggle free. I don't think anybody would like to sit in their congregation if there's a synagogue of Satan right there full of self-deceived people who think they are, but they're not. And there's persecution, too. Laodicea, I know you're lukewarm. You leave a bad taste in my mouth. You have deceived yourself into believing that you have everything, when really you have nothing. You are walking about in a shameful way, and your eyes are diseased. Each of these churches stood before the God who can see everything open and laid bare before him. There is nothing he needs to learn about them. Nothing, I would say, he needs to learn about us. Nothing he needs to learn about me. He knows. He knows. He can start a list on any one of us, can't he? I'll still come back to this. And he still loves them. He still loves them. I wonder if he took inventory right now what he might say about us as a church, about us as individuals. I hope that he would not say, you've fallen asleep. I'm hoping he wouldn't say, you forgot my word. I'm hoping he wouldn't say you were tempted to fear persecution. You were hesitant to follow my direction. You deceived yourself by thinking too highly of yourself. You're devoid of the things that you think you have. I hope he wouldn't look at us and say, you have the characteristics of these churches that I see as their struggles. I know them perfectly. I've spent a great deal of time on this, I know. But that's still not quite enough. That's why I asked you to reach this chapter yourself so you can keep up with some of these things. But in the process of changing us, 
He has to reveal what needs changed. And then when that is revealed as he has just done it to these these churches, he says, now, this is where it applies. Do it. He who hears is the one who's commended. All the way through. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. The verb, the kuo verb in the Greek means to not only hear it with your ear, to listen to it, to understand it, and to obey it. And it's not complete until it's obeyed. It's not complete. Hearing is not done until it results in action. You have to do something. Sardis, remember where you, what you have received. Wake up and strengthen what you have. He didn't give up on them, did he? He woke them up and said, get going, get going. You've got good things here. Don't leave it. Move on. Philadelphia, he said this to them. Hold fast to what you have. Don't let them take your reward from you. To Laodicea, he says, come to me for your needs. Be zealous and repent. I am waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. What good is the diagnosis without the cure? These are problems here they had on earth. The cure has eternal value. I've told you before, the word repent pops up on the page all over the place. Repent, 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 repent. That means have a different mind about these things. You need to change here. You need to change right there. Think opposite to the way the world thinks. I have this little theory in life. It's worked so far. If the world applauds it, there must be something wrong. And that's my my sense uh, of looking at things. And here, he says, repent. Don't think like them. Repent. Change your mind. It'll be worth it, folks. It'll be worth it. I want to underscore something while I'm right here at this point, talking about the Laodicean church especially. I believe it could apply to any one of them. He said it to the church. Verse 20. He said it to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. You know as well as I do, that verse has been used in evangelistic circles for a long time. I won't deny that it's a very helpful picture when you're presenting the gospel to an unbeliever to say, Jesus is there and he wants to have this relationship with you. I've heard that before. and, And yet, if I'm going to be true to my context, I recall he's talking to a church that already belongs to him. What's the problem? Think of how sad this picture is, folks. The creator and the keeper and the savior of the church stands outside the church while they struggle inside the church to get by. How easily we could think we've got it all, yet without Christ, what do you really have? 
nothing. Without Christ, you have nothing. No power, no direction, no supply, no capabilities of pleasing Him, no help to be like Him. This is what I want to tell you. We spend a lot of time with Him outside the door. And we're wondering, why are we not becoming more like Him? How can we ever be like Him if we're not with Him? I could say that on a church level. I could say that on a personal level too, can't I? Because that's the work He's doing in the heart and life of a believer. If we're not with Him, we cannot grow to be like Him. I would hate to think that he's standing outside the door of my life knocking while I'm inside trying to struggle out how to do it. How to do it. Tozer once wrote this. Modern religion focuses on filling churches with people, but the true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. Spurgeon said this. My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, He is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, what He has done, and what He is doing now for me. When we set our focus on ourselves, He's outside. And we become what? A Laodicean, lukewarm type of church. Does he love you? Oh, yes, he does. That's why he's knocking. And he's going to keep on knocking. Because he wants to come in and be with us. That's what he wants. You see, ministry, folks, is pointless without Christ. Programs are pointless without Christ. Sermons are pointless without Christ. We know that. But when will the church realize that if he's on the outside, nothing good is going to happen on the inside? It can't. It can't. He loves his church. He is the solution for her need. He is. All her development depends upon him. He is the pattern by which she is being formed. You cannot have a church without Christ. It's just the reality of it all. Let the ears hear. Let it listen to it and obey it. The letter was written to the churches, and it's still a wonder that he has to stand outside and knock to gain admittance to that which he already owns. Who will hear the knock and open the door? He who overcomes. He who overcomes. Every church in this book was promised rewards for overcoming. We, we don't have time to look at all those things. But this is the one who is victorious in it. This is the one who is conquered in it. Now, it wasn't an easy job. Anytime you're ready to... To go and win the battle, there's going to be effort. 
There's going to be some muscle strain. There's going to be some stretching. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some work. There's going to be some effort. You can't do that in your sleep, can you? He says, wake up, remember. Get on those deeds you started. Be zealous. Repent if that's what's necessary. But get to work because the discipline of the exercise has its reward. That's the overcomer. It doesn't just happen to you overnight. That's where we invest ourselves in what he's made us to be. I like to call it, we participate in the process. (laughs) He's got a wonderful thing that he's doing in my life and in your life, right? How much do you cooperate with it? How much do you cooperate with it? I might have said this before. It's not one of my shining moments. I was in first grade. I don't know what I was up to. The teacher didn't like it. She just didn't like it. And she decided that I needed to go sit in the kindergarten class that day. I didn't want to go. I made my point. She grabbed me by the arm, and all the way down that tiled hallway, I remember screaming like I was being murdered. And I think sometimes, when the Lord's at work in our heart, our attitude might just look like that. He says, I've got a work to do. Are you working with me in the process? Are you developing into what I have you to be of your initiative as well as mine? Are you a willing participant in it? How many times do you say to the churches, do this, do this, do this, and you're overcome? And then we come up with our own plans. Three points here, four points there, seven steps here. We're going to try our own little program to overcome, and it will never work without Christ. I would recommend this. What he says to do, do it, and it will succeed. Because he knows what he's doing. We take a wild guess and hope for good results. He already knows the results. And he's not here to change our heads. He's here to change our hearts. He's here to change our lives because he's coming. Remember? He's coming. He's coming. And we live in a wicked world and someday we won't be here. Someday, as John said, it will, when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. You will soon see Jesus, folks. You will soon be like him. Is it closer today than it was last week? He loves us. Do we hear him? Will we overcome? I set those before you today. Chapter 4 gets really dramatic. I think the first three chapters were very dramatic. Because that's where it gets personal first. Then we'll start to see the things that he doesn't have in store for us. We have cause to rejoice as well. But I'm going to encourage you to read chapter 4 next week. Before next week. And then we're starting to that chapter too. But don't forget, folks, he loves you.
Don't forget that. Heavenly Father, these words are good. They're useful to us. We need it. Thank you for your faithfulness to us all the way through. Thank you for understanding us. Understanding who we are and what we are. Where we are in the process and where we're going. With all these things we rejoice that you are God. And that we have the privilege of knowing you. We rejoice in that today and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.